0: Good morning. The reading of God's word says in verse 35, Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may have, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said, This because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith. For fear, they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that he has commanded, I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Chapter 20, verses 30 through 31 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. If you have little ones first grade and under who would like to go over for our children's worship, they're welcome to stay with us. Uh, They can line up with Miss Brittany and Miss Savannah uh, and head over that way. And if you're going back there for the first time, we may want to have one parent go get them signed up with our uh, team of volunteers and staff over there. Well, since Easter Sunday, we've been journeying with Jesus through John chapters 7 through 12. And today, um, at the end of the 12th chapter, we find something strange. Sort of a seam in the narrative uh, that John has been writing. It actually reminds me of John chapter 1, where John, the author, gives this kind of big theological introduction before he starts the biography of Jesus' life. And here at the end of chapter 12, he, he, he pauses in the middle of the biography, almost like for an intermission. And John starts writing to the reader. He sort of breaks the fourth wall. But then even more interestingly, we get a message from Jesus to the reader. After John interrupts the narrative, we get a message from Jesus with no narrative context. So it's it's not Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus speaking to the disciples. No, he just cries out to the reader. It almost feels like the camera pans away from the story of Jesus' life, and you find John and Jesus simply standing there and speaking to us directly. But why? Let's examine it together. Look again at verse 36. So Jesus finishes speaking to the crowd in verse 36. And in the second part, it says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So John interrupts the story to help the reader consider this. How in the world could the Jewish people be rejecting the Messiah who came for them, the one that they have waited for for so long? And how could it be that Jesus is ending his public ministry to the Jews by going into hiding? And perhaps the most shocking question of all, how could it be that less than a week from now, these same people to whom Jesus was sent will crucify their promised king. So John is inviting the reader to grapple with this deeply disturbing reality. And what's his answer? How could this be? Look at verses 37 through 43. Though he had done so many signs before them, they st- uh, also, if you're reading in your worship guide, for some reason that wasn't ESV today, it'll be a lot easier for you to grab your pew bible or use your phone app if you're going to follow along with me. Different translations word things different ways, and that one was real different from ESV. So if you want to follow with me, I'd recommend grabbing your pew bible or your ESV app. Sorry about that. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before, then they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his, that is Jesus's glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it so that they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So why didn't Israel believe? Why did Israel reject Jesus? John, through Isaiah, says they didn't believe because they couldn't. Why couldn't they? Because God didn't give them that ability. He didn't give them faith. In fact, Isaiah says it as strongly as possible. He says God blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they couldn't believe. Now, that's not easy to hear. It's not easy to understand. And if we spend our whole morning trying to plumb the depths of that difficult mystery, we're going to miss the broader point of the text. So we're going to take that truth... We're going to set it on a shelf and come back to it in a bit. But that's why the Jewish people rejected Jesus. They can't believe. God hardened them. But why does John say that? Why does he interject this difficult theological idea into the narrative of Jesus' life? I think he's warning his readers. And here's the warning. Don't be like them. The people of Jesus' day heard the literal voice of Jesus. They actually saw Jesus, and they saw the signs that he was performing, and they still rejected him. We could do the same thing. You could hear this story. You could read John. You could memorize John. You can understand the gospel of John and still reject Jesus, just like these people did. And as John depicts this frightening reality Jesus interrupts John, and Jesus shouts at us. Look at verse 44. It's fascinating. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, So in this surprising and difficult intermission, Jesus and his servant John are issuing a direct call to you, the reader of this gospel. And here's what they're telling you. Believe Jesus while you still have the chance. Many people have an opportunity to believe in Jesus but don't take it. And then the opportunity's gone. It's what happened with these people on this day. The Israelites heard the gospel, they saw the signs, they didn't believe. And the same can happen to any person in this room. And not because of ignorance. Why didn't the Israelites believe? There are more reasons given in our text than simply God hardened their hearts. And so they they just didn't have a chance. So let's look at some of the underlying reasons that these evangelized people, these people who heard Jesus' message, who saw his works, people like us, let's see why they didn't believe in Jesus. Well, some people don't believe in Jesus because sin attracts and draws us away from Jesus, ultimately enslaving us. Look at verses 37 through 40 as John is quoting Isaiah. Verse 37, though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still didn't believe him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. So John quotes the prophet Isaiah. And what is Isaiah's message? Well, it's the same message that every Old Testament prophet had for the people of Israel. And it was? Anybody want to guess? Repent! (laughs) That is always the, the, the message of the Old Testament prophets. Repent from your sin. And yet, what is the story of the whole Old Testament? Generation after generation of God's people become attracted to sin, Then they grow addicted to sin, and they reject God for the idols of the world. And then they ignore or kill the prophets. The primary reason that a person, any person, the primary reason we don't believe is because we love our sin too much. We don't want to stop sinning. We don't want to give it up. And we think we're in charge of our lives, but our sin is actually enslaving us and ruling us. Israel did it. You may be doing it too. You can know everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did, but never give your life over to his rulership because you hold on to this other love. You want to be in charge of your life. You don't want to leave these things behind Our sin enslaves us. But that's not the only reason that people don't believe. Other people don't believe Jesus because their desire for social approval makes them unwilling to publicly declare Jesus as Lord. Now, I know I'm really cool, and this might surprise you. (laughs) I'm not if you don't know me well. I'm really super uncool. But it is never cool uh, in the eyes of the world to serve Jesus or to live out the teachings of Jesus. Because the world has different values from Jesus. And that was true in the first century. And it's just as true now. Look at verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So if you're looking to win a popularity contest, don't get serious about following Jesus. Because following Jesus means being different, being countercultural, being a member of a totally different kingdom, a totally different humanity, a totally different world. And if you are following Jesus, you're going to be living according to a different set of values. It's going to be like you're speaking a a, a totally different language. You will be confusing to people, offensive to people, refreshing to people. You'll be like an alien in Babylon. And for some people, like these authorities that get mentioned in verse 42, the idea of Jesus is compelling. They like the things that Jesus did. They like the things that Jesus said. But if you had to choose between social standing at work or in your family, or in your social group, if you got to choose between that and Jesus is Lord, they're not going to profess Jesus is Lord. And so they cave to the desire to be praised by other people. When was the last time you told another person that you believed in Jesus, that he was your Lord, that he was your King? I'm not talking about evangelism, but you just said that, yeah, Jesus is your Lord. And notice, I didn't ask when was the last time you told somebody you were a churchgoer. Going to church is culturally acceptable. Especially in St. Tammany. And as a result, telling somebody you go to church, it means nothing. It means nothing. I know atheists and agnostics who go to church in St. Tammany all time. The time. So telling somebody else you go to church probably will not lose you social capital. Maybe it will with some people who are, who are very kind of adamantly against the idea of Jesus. But by and large, going to church in St. Tammany is not that big of a deal. But do you know what's never culturally acceptable in any place? Saying out loud that Jesus is the king of everything and everybody and that you've bowed the knee to him. That your family, your calendar, your home, your mind, your checkbook, all belongs to Jesus. Talking like that, acting like that, that's social suicide. But what is the gospel? I can tell you the gospel in three words. If you struggle to know how to tell someone else what you believe, I'll tell you the gospel in three words. Jesus is Lord. That's it. And if we're not open... About who's in charge of our lives, it raises the question of who's really in charge of our lives Jesus or the expectations of others. Lots of people don't believe in Jesus because of a desire for social approval. Maybe there's some flicker of faith in their heart, but it never changes their lives. But there's a third reason that is uncomfortably clear in our text why people don't believe, and it's this I said it already. In his mysterious providence, God does harden some people's hearts in a way that still holds them accountable and accomplishes his purposes. It's very clear in John 12 as well as in Isaiah that there are times when God actively hardens a person's heart so that when they hear the message of Jesus, they don't respond with faith. You see that in the life of Pharaoh. Back in Exodus, in the time of Moses, we see it here with the people of Israel. They didn't respond to Jesus because God had hardened their hearts. Now, if you've never heard anybody talk like this before, this language of hardening your heart, uh, we're Presbyterians, and that means your pastor and your elders were were Calvinists through and through. We believe in this sort of thing. But that doesn't mean we pretend that it's not an idea that makes us very uncomfortable. I don't read this and think, yeah, he hardens their hearts. And this is heartbreaking. This is terrifying. It makes me very uncomfortable. And there are lots of questions that it raises that I'd be happy to address with you afterwards. That'd be a whole other sermon. But again, it's important to remember why John is mentioning this here. Why is he saying it? Because the uninitiated reader, someone who'd never heard the story of Jesus before, would be shocked... To see the Jews rejecting and then killing Jesus. To see Jesus going into hiding. How could they kill their savior, their king? It's insane. And how does John respond? By hearkening back to Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet. And what do we see in the Old Testament and the prophets? Israel would send, would sin. God would send them a prophet. They'd repent and then sin again. And he'd send a prophet. They'd repent and then sin again. Rinse, lather, repeat. Or lather, rinse, repeat rather. And as the story of the Old Testament goes on, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And by the end of the story, even the kings and the prophets and the priests are in on the sin. So in that context of repeated generational sin and unrepentance in escalating uh, quantity and quality, God tells Isaiah, go tell them to repent, but I'm going to harden their heart so that they don't respond. Israel was certainly accountable for their actions. They had ample opportunity over and over to repent and follow God, but they consistently failed over and over again. And it's reminiscent of what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6. They said, It's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. To restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Israel had made their choice over and over and over again. They'd heard the message, they'd seen the signs, they'd tasted the goodness of God, they'd even experienced the work of the Holy Spirit, but they went back to their idols. So after centuries and centuries of patience, God hardens their hearts so that they wouldn't believe the message. But don't miss this. Again, this is how God's mysterious providence works. If Israel had not rejected Jesus, brothers, we Gentiles, the world would not be saved. Were it not for their rejection of Christ and their crucifixion of Christ, which is the greatest sin ever committed, there would be no salvation for us. And so even in this remarkably painful and difficult reality, we still see that God's purposes are accomplished even in remarkable sin and grief. And it's in the middle of John relaying this difficult idea to us that Jesus breaks in with a shout. Why does Jesus interrupt us that way in this difficult discussion of God's sovereignty? Because Jesus wants you, listen, he wants you to only briefly consider the hardening of the Israelites. It happened to them. And it can happen to any other person. We can hear the gospel and pay some kind of attention to it, but ultimately we go back to our own ways. And the Lord Jesus wants you to consider that the Israelite story could become yours. You could be hardened in the same way. And so, lest that happen to you, the reader of this gospel, Jesus jumps in in this intermission and says, Believe me while you still have the chance. God is still being patient with your sin. So believe and repent. Every one of us will have a last opportunity to believe in Jesus. And thus, we should believe today. The day of the triumphal entry, this is the wrapping up of that narrative, the day of the triumphal entry was these people's last opportunity to receive Jesus in faith. And they didn't do it. And their hope of salvation was gone. We don't know when our last chance to believe the gospel will be. Therefore, every single person in this room should believe the gospel today. But how? How do we believe in Jesus? Well, a person has believed Jesus when they recognize that his actions proved his words. And then they profess that openly. Kids, if you wonder, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? I hear my parents talking about this at home. We talk about it in Sunday school. What does it mean? This is all it means. Believing in Jesus means you see that his actions proved his words. And then we tell others that we believe that. Look at verses 37 and 42 in our text. Verse 37, Though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Verse 42, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So despite the miracles and signs that Jesus did, they couldn't bring themselves to believe his words. Or they couldn't bring themselves to say it out loud before God and everybody. Well, what's so hard about believing in Jesus and the things that he proclaimed? Well, you really can't blame them for having questions about what he said. What did Jesus actually say? Well, he said he was from God. He said that he was the son of God. That is God incarnate, God in human flesh. And Jesus said that he is the only way to be spared from judgment for sin And to have eternal life. Pretty bold claims. I need to see some pretty clear signs if I'm going to believe a guy who says this. Let's listen. to. Let's let Jesus speak for himself. Look at verses 44 through 50. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. That's God. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I don't judge him, for I didn't come to judge the world but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given him given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus was under no illusions about who he was and why he was here. He knew he came from God the Father. He knew that he was God the Son. And he knew that he came to save sinners through his own death. If you heard a street preacher say all of that, I'm pretty sure you'd want to see some proof. I think you'd be skeptical. In fact, last June, I was in downtown Denver and I ran into a fellow who told me that he was one of the witnesses from the book of Revelation who is here ahead of Jesus's return. And do you know what I did in response? I regretted engaging him. (laughs) And when I looked at the man, how he was arrayed and the things that he was doing, his works did not prove in any way that he was telling me the truth. But what about Jesus? We can trust that Jesus is indeed the Son of God who came to save sinners because of what he did. His works vindicate and prove that what he said was the truth. Well, what works of Jesus prove his words to be true? Well, first and primarily, the signs performed in his earthly ministry and his resurrection. The assumption of this text is that the signs Jesus performed should have convinced his hearers of his truthfulness. And if not the miracles of healing and feeding and raising others from the dead, what about his resurrection from the dead? Even the Apostle Paul, who was an opponent of Christianity, who put Christians to death, even he changed his tune. Why? Because he saw the resurrected Jesus, what Jesus did proved his words true. When people ask me why I believe in Jesus, I always respond, the resurrection. I believe the resurrection happened, and I see no reasonable historical explanation for those events except that they happened as they're described in the Gospels. Jesus came back from the dead, and that proves his claim to be Savior and Son of God, that it was all true. But there's a second work of Jesus that proves his works true. And that's this, his faithfulness to and through the church by his Holy Spirit. Look at verse 46 again. Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. When Jesus saves people, he doesn't leave them as they are. Instead, he brings them out of the kingdom of darkness into his beautiful light. He intends to make us holy, to make us live more and more like him. And this is a work today That Jesus does to show people that he's alive to show people that his message is true They see it in you Christian When you love them as Jesus loves them They see it in you when you think and operate according to Jesus's values rather than the world's values The Holy Spirit working in you and through you demonstrates the truth of what Jesus taught So why does a person believe in Jesus? Well, we believe his words Because of his works, what he did in his lifetime in his resurrection and what he's doing now to and through his people, his actions prove his words to be true. And when we are convinced of that, when we become convinced that, yes, Jesus is telling the truth, what are we to do to believe Jesus is to proclaim your agreement with him publicly and openly because his sway over your life is all encompassing. Despite what people may say, Christian faith is not a private matter. There's no such thing as believing in Jesus but never saying that to others. Think about it this way. If I was married but I never told anybody, and after years and years, you find out that I've been married all this time, what are you going to think? You're going to think, something something messed up, something goofy in that marriage. must not be a, a happy situation. If you knew me for the last 10 years and you'd never heard me mention that I have children and suddenly you see me at Target with three of them running all over the place, I think that'd be strange to you, wouldn't it? And it's the same in a relationship with Jesus. Believing Jesus is a life-defining, public, open commitment to serve him over and above everything and everybody else. Following Jesus is a more life-defining relationship than a marriage or than having children. Now, John criticizes some of the leaders of Israel who were interested in Jesus. They had some kind of faith, but they couldn't say anything openly. These people who were ashamed of Christ are not Christians. How can I say that? John says they had faith that they believed. Well, that's true. They believed something of Jesus, but they still served another God above him, the God of human praise. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the same kind of stuff we're seeing here. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and therefore his words are true? And are you willing to confess it? This is what Christian faith looks like. So think through that. A person listens to what Jesus says. They observe his works during his lifetime and through the church. And when they decide, yes, Jesus is the king. He is the son of God and I need to give my life to him. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. When they have that internal recognition that, They need to profess it publicly. And the ordinary way of doing that is with the body of Christ, with the church. To tell a local, believing body of Christians publicly, I'm with Jesus too. He's my Lord and I want to join you. And from that day forward, we tell others the same. Believe Jesus while you still have the chance. That is today. Chris, let me invite you to come forward. Um, now we are Presbyterians, but I grew up Baptist, and this happens every once in a while. In a moment, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you've never professed your faith in Jesus, to do that today. Uh, I grew up in a culture where it was a super high pressure thing. Where we'd sit through 18 verses of a hymn, giving everybody a shot. Uh, we're not going to do that. you got, you got three verses. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down here to the front row. I've asked a few elders to be prepared as well, and they'll come down to the front row. And I'm going to kneel down, and I'm going to pray for you who have never professed faith in Jesus as Lord or for you who have professed faith in Jesus as Lord but have been playing games, that it was not a true profession. And if you today would like to say, yes, I believe what Jesus said is true because of his works, and I want to profess that publicly. I'll I'll invite you to come down. I'll be praying. Tap me on the shoulder, and then we're going to sit down in the front row and talk. And if I'm tied up, we'll have other elders over here. You can tap them on the shoulder, and you can talk. And then you can make your profession of faith here before the people of God. Your flesh doesn't want you to profess your faith. It wants you to stay in your seat, in your sin, and in the world's good graces. And so I implore you to reject it. Reject your flesh. Reject your sin. Reject Satan and all his works. Reject social acceptability. And today declare Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And as my last exhortation to you today, if you've heard this scripture and this sermon today, good news. God hasn't hardened your heart yet. You still have a chance to receive him now, so do not delay.